The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks, episode number 30. Today is Sunday, January 1st, 2017, the first episode of the new year. I'm joined by Jeff the Animal Wilson. Jeff, Happy New Year. How you doing? Happy New Year to you too, Bill. I'm doing not so good because I have to go back to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering like who had a worse weekend, like the people who lost fights this weekend or all the teachers that have to go back to work after two weeks off. Uh, surprisingly, in New Jersey, a lot of the schools got off on the 23rd because Christmas was a little late this year. So yeah. they only got the week off. Um, so I was enjoying it. When everybody was getting out of school, I was just getting back from visiting you, Bill. So it was fun. Yeah, now you're back in that tropical New Jersey weather. How are you enjoying that? Oh, dude, I love it. It hasn't been too cold up here. Oh, really? That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, like Christmas, uh, there was no snow. I was out there in a t-shirt and shorts on Christmas. Oh, man. I was actually in a hoodie the other night. It dropped down to like 50 degrees. And so, uh, you know, people were getting frostbitten down here in Florida at 50 degrees. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sure you had to bust out the North Faces. <laughs> yeah, it was cl- it's, it's crazy to see how bundled up people get when uh, when it gets below like 70 degrees here. You would think there was like a nor'easter coming or like a blizzard, <laughs> the way people walk around. But uh, anyway, we had a, a huge action-packed weekend of fights this past weekend. I know it was a it was a disappointing UFC for you, the UFC 207 for uh, your girl Ronda Rousey and your boy Dominic Cruz there. But uh, a lot of a lot of great fights overall on this card. What, what was your overall impression of uh, 207 from Vegas? Oh, dude, I I thought the UFC knocked it out of the park, man. It was such a great card. Mm-hmm. As disappointed as I was, I thought it was a really great card. Uh, some very shocking results in terms of uh, how the fights actually went. Yep. But overall, it was fun. Uh, I was drinking some. Uh, some tequila called um, Epsilon, I think it was called. It had uh, some dude on a skeleton riding into battle on a chicken, so I knew it was going to be some dangerous stuff. Nice. I would I would buy that just for that reason. I think I may have had that before, but I don't really remember it. How was it? Uh, it tasted a little weird at first, but the more I drank it, the better it tasted, so it was doing its job. That's usually the case. Alright, so we won't tag him in this episode. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it did the trick, so that's all that matters. Yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. it was it was tough to get into UFC 207 because the marketing was so strange. Uh, everything pretty much revolved around Ronda Rousey coming back, and Ronda Rousey was not doing any media herself. Uh, she appeared on like Conan O'Brien, and she did some mainstream media, but she wasn't talking to MMA media at all, not even during fight week. And that kind of screws Amanda Nunez because she didn't get a chance to promote the fight either. So I don't know what that did to the pay-per-view numbers. I haven't seen them yet, but it, it's strange that they would 
they would focus the pay-per-view solely on her and not even mention, you know, any of the other great fights. I mean, you had another championship fight on this card. You had former champions fighting on this card. And you, you had generally some really good scraps uh, that you could promote. And the, the promotion just wasn't there. I don't know if WME's uh, marketing team just took off early for the holidays or what, but uh, I feel like the, the promotion was really weak for this fight. And I think Dominic Cruz and Cody Garbrandt tried to make up for it with their social media battles and stuff. I don't know how much that affected the numbers, but um, generally, you know, the weakest effort in promoting a pay-per-view from the UFC that we've seen in a long time. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, the, the publicity for this was weird. Uh, mm-hmm. There was virtually, I, at least I felt like there was no hype around it. But I feel like if you were, you know, if you're a true fan and you watch it regularly, you, you should have been really excited for this card because it was a really good looking card. But we know a lot of the, you and I know a lot of the names on this card, which I'm sure many casual fans probably don't. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I I would like to have seen this card built up a little bit more. And like you said, fans like you and I, we know this, these fighters up and down. But, you know, the idea is to get the casual fan to tune in because that's where they're getting the pay-per-view buys. You know, they're when there's a big fight and, you know, people want to order it and, and order some pizzas and, and hang out at home or, or whatever the case um, that that's where you're making your money. So, uh, I don't know, but let, let's start from the top and, um, probably what may have surprised some people and didn't surprise others. Um, and we kind of talked about how this one could turn out, but Amanda Nunez, uh, defends her women's bantamweight championship in devastating fashion, knocking out Ronda Rousey in 48 seconds, which is you know, less than she lasted against Holly Holm. What did you think about the fight? And what did you think about Ronda's demeanor leading up to the fight? And any other thoughts around this main event? Uh, dude, I was shocked, man. Uh, 48 seconds is about the total time that Ronda was in the cage with her last three opponents before Holly Holm. Yeah, um, that's fair. You know, you know so it, it was... It was it was surreal, dude. It was like watching Mount Olympus fall, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know how to describe it. I was just shocked um, because Ronda Rousey, she looked really confident walking into the cage. Yeah. But once that bell rang, she, she seemed a little slower, a little frozen at times. Yeah. Um, like, you know, Amanda Nunez's first couple of punches went right through. Uh, right in between her hand, in in between Ronda's hands. Yeah. So it was really strange. It felt, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It felt surreal. Yeah. And then seeing her just buckled and wobbled and not being able to stand on her own, it, it was it was really sad. Yeah, it it was, and you know her her posture and the way she was, even the way she was holding her hand, she had her elbows cocked out, which, you know, that's that's day one of boxing, you, you know. Keep your hands up and and keep your elbows down in front of you because otherwise it's too easy to push those hands out of the way uh, with with some straight punches. And that's exactly what Amanda Nunez did. She just blasted straight down the pipe. Uh, And Ronda just seemed frozen. Um, 
So it was like Nunez is beating up a moving statue. Uh, what was really disturbing to me was when I heard the isolated audio of Ronda's coach, Edmund Tarvidian, who obviously is criticized across the board by MMA fans for what he has done to Ronda and what he's done to some other fighters who saw success before training with Edmund, like Travis Brown. Uh, this guy is not the most liked coach in the sport. Did you get a chance to hear the isolated audio of his advice to Ronda during the fight, Jeff? I did. Uh, I know you sent it to me, and I was checking it out on Twitter. And, dude, it, it was not anything of sustenance, nope. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he was just saying, you know, head movement, make or miss, but that's not technical advice, you know? That's that's not going to help anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he should have been telling her to, to fix the way she was holding her hands up, and, man, she was just dragging her feet. I mean, she looked great. She looked in awesome shape, but it looked like, you know, she had she had stones tied around her feet like the way she was dragging her feet around the octagon she had no foot movement she had no head movement and she was holding her hands awkwardly it was almost like someone who had never thrown a punch before like when somebody comes into like a cardio kickboxing class or something and you're you're trying to show them you you know basics it it was it was really that bad and uh, amanda nunez just (laughs) you know like a savage just lit her up and it it was it was almost unfair i mean the way ronda was postured and everything and the and the punches that amanda was throwing at her it looked like a total mismatch which you know you have to expect that amanda nunez is going to come like a bat out of hell in those first couple of minutes because that's her mo you know she's going to come with big power she's going to swing for the fences and she's going to try and knock you out that's been her game plan since she started in this sport um, and Ronda would have to weather that storm, but, but I mean, Ronda's the same way as well. When, when she was winning fights, she was doing the same thing. She would run through people in the first, you know, 15 seconds at times, but yeah, really disappointing to see that, that she's being coached in such a way. And it's almost like when you have that friend who's in a, in a bad relationship or, or they get cheated on or something, or they're in an abusive relationship and you try to talk them down. And they're like, no, no, he promised he's going to change and he's not going to cheat on me anymore. And you know damn well that he's probably cheating on her while you're having that conversation. But, you know, people are just blinded when they're, when they're involved in a relationship. And I imagine that having a relationship with a coach can be very similar because you know what it's like you go through a lot with with someone who coaches you so it's hard to believe that they don't have your best interest at heart or maybe they're not you know the person to best be there for you or to best coach you because you you've been through hell with them you know fight camps are are like hell and um you know it's hard to believe that that someone who goes through that with you um you know may not be the best person to be in that position but uh, what are your thoughts about her coaching? Um, you know, I I kind of agree with Rhonda's mom. Rhonda's mother has even come out and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, demonstrated her strong dislike for Edmund. Yep. And, you know, it, it's hard because, like you said, they've been through a lot together. Uh, he's taken her under her – he's taken Rhonda under his wing and stuff. Yep. So it's hard. But 
you know, initially Edmund didn't even want to train with Ronda. Um, I I remember seeing countdown videos, and I've seen I'm a huge Ronda Rousey fan, so I've seen a whole bunch of interviews with her and read articles. I've even read her book. Sure. And initially, initially Edmund didn't want to even look Ronda's way because you know he saw someone who didn't know how to throw hands, didn't really have a lot of talent. So what he uh, what Ronda would do is just keep showing up and training, and uh, at, at one point she asked Edmund, you know. Just let me hit the pads one time, see what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ronda held up her hands and threw a couple of shots, and Edmund walked out of the ring because um, he didn't want to work with her. But she kept showing up, and eventually, you know, he gave her a shot. Yeah. But, like, to me, that kind of tells me that he's a bit of a front runner. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, if he didn't want to work with this girl initially and help her uh, get better. So it, it's hard. It's hard for me to like Edmund. Uh, another bad example is Travis Brown. Uh, I know he's had a couple of bad losses in his more recent fights. Mm-hmm. There's even some controversy. And, you know, that all started when he started training with Edmund. So yeah. it's hard to defend the guy. Yeah, definitely. Especially when Ronda's victories didn't necessarily come from boxing. And Edmund is pretty much a boxing coach who coaches MMA. And. You know, he was happy to ride her coattails when she's arm-barring people in 10 seconds. But, um, I mean, the guy's just a goofball. Like you said, it's it's hard to it's hard to defend him. I mean, he's not well-spoken. It's not like he can justify how things went wrong. I mean, he's, he's over there just screaming and cursing in her corner. He's, you know, approaching opposing fighters after fights. And, you know, the guy's just like a nut. But... In any case, I, I hope that these last couple of fights don't define Ronda's legacy. Uh, there's a lot of talk of her retiring and possibly hanging it up, and I hope that's not the case. I hope she I hope she changed camps, and even if she doesn't, I hope that she makes some changes and just you know gets her head on right and, and makes a comeback. I mean, she's not even 30 years old yet, and she's one of the most dominant athletes in the history of the sport. You know, male or female. So I would hate to see her defined like this. Um, I, I don't think she will be. There there have been other fighters. Even if this is the end for Ronda, there have been other fighters. If you take, like, Chuck Liddell, who towards the end of his career, uh, his chin just couldn't take it anymore, and he got knocked out a couple of times. But nobody's going to remember Chuck Liddell for that. People are going to remember Chuck Liddell for being a dominant, scary knockout artist, and he's always going to be one of the most loved fighters. Uh, with Ronda, uh, it, it could go that way, and it could go another way. I mean, she's funny with the media, so the, the media has kind of basically turned their back on her. Um, I don't think they turned their back on her when she accused them of doing it after she lost her last fight, but ever since she said the media turned their back on me, they uh, they definitely aren't doing anything to help her out. So it, it's hard to say where her where her legacy is going to go from here. Uh, she's definitely a pioneer of the sport of women's MMA. She's done more for th- that aspect of the sport than than any woman in history. And even Amanda Nunez said that that she was thankful to Ronda for for doing that. And she was very understanding of the pay discrepancy here. I don't know if you heard about the disclosed pay for this, but Ronda made three million dollars for this fight, win or lose. She was getting three million dollars, and Amanda Nunez got a hundred thousand dollars to show up and $100,000 to win. 
So she made $200,000, whereas Ronda made $3 million. And if you listen to Amanda's post-fight press conference, she was very understanding. And she said, you know, I know people wanted to see Ronda come back. And, and she's the reason people are going to buy the pay-per-views. And she's the reason people are going to buy tickets. And I understand that. And I'm here to show that I'm the better fighter and that's all I care about. I made enough money to take care of myself and and my family, and that's all I care about. I know they're going to pay her more money. I know if we fought again, they would pay her more money again, and that's the way it goes, and I get it. So it was great to see her take it so positively, and, you know, she's just a real fighter, which is what I really what I really enjoy about her, and I think she's just coming into her prime. I mean, she's not even 30 years old either. And now she's with American Top Team. I think they're working on her conditioning to take care of that problem of her gassing out because the fights that she has lost, it's been because she had nothing left in the tank. But any thoughts on the uh, pay discrepancy there and the way Amanda Nunez took it, Jeff? Yeah, uh, I think Nunez took it in stride, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, Ronda's a big pioneer, man. Ronda's basically the reason that the UFC even has a, a women's bantamweight division and now a women's strawweight division. For sure. And pretty soon a women's featherweight division, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so Very huge soon. credit. Yeah, huge credit to Ronda. I certainly hope that she's not remembered for her devastating losses. I really hope she's remembered for what she's done for the sport of women's MMA. And, you know, credit to Nunez, man. She went in there, uh, did what she had to do. I mean, she shut my mouth for sure. I really <laughs> thought Ronda was going to win. But, you know, Nunez went out there, kicked butt. And, you know, I, I like seeing how grateful she is. Yeah. And I like seeing that the money, as as huge a disparity as there is, I like that Nunez is like, you know what? Uh, I've still made my money. I can take care of myself and my training and my family and everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to love it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. After that press conference, I, I definitely saw Amanda Nunez in a whole new light. And uh, who knows what's what's next for her in this division. I know this month coming up, we have a big uh, headlining fight between Valentina Shevchenko and Juliana Pena. Do you think the winner of that is deserving of a title shot, or would you go the Raquel Pennington route? Who do you think is next in line for that strap? I think it should be Raquel Pennington. I think she's amassed a good number of victories, and she's beaten some good names too. Her most recent win, Misha Tate. Yep. Uh, Misha Tate is never an easy fight for anybody unless you're Amanda Nunez <laughs> um, or Ronda Rousey. But, um, yeah. you know, I think – and also Pena hasn't been very active. Uh, I know she had a bad knee injury a couple years back. Uh-huh. So we've only seen her fight, I believe, once in the last two or three years. So I think you need to give it to Raquel Pennington. You know, she's been active. She's got a good win streak going. And honestly, I'd love to see Nunez Raquel Pennington. That looks like a really good fight to me. Very exciting. Fair. Yeah. Uh, I think you made some great points. I think uh, no matter who they give it to, I, I could see it. If they give it to the winner of Shevchenko Pena, uh, I could see that being justified. Especially since uh, Shevchenko is coming off that impressive victory over Holly Holm, where she pretty much just worked her over for three rounds and, and shut down her offense. Um, in any case, someone who wasn't necessarily deserving of a title shot in terms of rankings, per se, 
uh, having, I don't think, ever fought a, a top 10 fighter, but is now the men's bantamweight champion, is uh, a guy I've been telling you to keep your eye on for a while, Jeff, and that's uh, Cody Nolove. So what did you think about his performance over Dominic Cruz? Dude, I was flabbergasted. I was taken aback, man. Cody Garbrandt, he fought really well. He fought smart. It was like watching Dominic Cruz fight against himself. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, you know, No Love's footwork was beautiful. His head movement was absolutely phenomenal. And I feel like he did a good job of using staying power because usually Dominic Cruz makes other guys hit first. And Dominic Cruz is more of a counter puncher True. where he catches you with flurries uh, on the counter. But Cody Garbrandt really turned the tables on him and made Cruz chase the fight. So, to me, that was really, really surprising. And, you know, I, I definitely um, misunderstood the power that Cody Garbrandt has in his hands. Yeah. Um, I, I think that in comparison to the other guys who Dominic Cruz has fought, I think Cody Garbrandt might be probably the hardest hitter in the bantamweight division after seeing that fight on Friday. Yeah, for sure. I mean, his power is ridiculous. I don't think anybody could have predicted this fight going down the way it did especially with the lead-up, with Cody walking out on on an interview. It seemed like Dominic's trash talk really got in his head. And, uh, you know, he was talking about Cody's girlfriend and, and trolling her on social media and stuff like that. And, and Cody was getting visibly upset. But you saw a completely different guy step in the cage. He was so composed. He didn't try and jump on top of Dominic when he had him rocked a couple of times. He dropped him three or four times, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. And there was one instance, I think it was in the third round, where he dropped him hard, where you could you could almost see that fight being stopped. And then all of a sudden, Dominic Cruz just pops back up as if they had just hit a rewind button, and he's just back up on his feet. So you have to admire the chin of Dominic Cruz because he took shots that would have finished a lot of guys. Obviously, he's never been knocked out in his career, and he, he showed that he could definitely take a punch. And I don't know what would have happened if, if Cody did jump on him when he dropped him. Uh, we've never really seen much of Cruz off of his back. Um, so we don't know what kind of jiu-jitsu game he has. You know, if Garbrandt would have been in any trouble there. But definitely impressed with Cruz's chin in that fight. Definitely impressed with Cody's style. And if you told me before this fight that it was going to a decision, I would say 100%. I would bet everything I own that Dominic Cruz would have won because we said when we were breaking down this fight, I, I thought that Cody would, if he was going to win, it would be because he would, he managed to land a shot on Dominic Cruz and, and put him away. But the fact that he won a decision, the fact that he was able to showcase amazing footwork and composure, so impressed with this kid. I mean, he's only 25 years old. He's the champ undefeated. And um, I think more impressive than all of that was the fact that he sacrificed a corner man so he could have that uh, that young kid in his corner who – did you hear the story behind the, the kid that was in his corner, Jeff? Uh, I only know so far as uh, – I know the kid had leukemia at uh -huh. about five years old, but that's all I know. Yeah, so he's from Cody's hometown. So Cody met this kid – uh, you know, j just from being from the same town and saw the struggle that he went through and basically made a promise to him that if he became the UFC champion, he would 
be right there you know, by his side. Um, and, you know, he put the belt around the kid and, and he got very emotional in the press conference saying that this kid is the reason that he fights and the reason that he pursued the championship so hard and it was their goal together and he couldn't have done it without him. Uh, it really puts things into a different perspective because, you know, Cody comes off as kind of kind of a thug. You know, he he's he's not very well spoken like like Dominic Cruz says about him. He's got you know, tattoos up his neck. He swears a lot. Um, so this is this was definitely something else that was unexpected about him. But but wow, what an what an awesome story that he basically basically sacrificed a corner man um, because you know you're allowed to have three coaches in your corner. So he took two coaches and he took this kid to be in his corner for the championship fight and then won the championship for him. This is something, you know, out of a movie, pretty much. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like you said, you gotta, you gotta respect the guy. Yeah. You know, he's got a, he's got a big heart. It's obvious, but going back real quick to the fight. Um, another thing that we haven't mentioned is Cody Garbrandt's wrestling, man. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he was, uh, I believe he was a state champion wrestler in high school. But in the first round, he landed a beautiful, a beautifully timed takedown on Dominic Cruz off of a, a slipped shot, and he just dropped him quick. It was it was beautiful to watch. And a few times uh, later on in the fight, Dominic Cruz went for a takedown, and it got stuffed like a Thanksgiving turkey. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so so Gar- Garbrandt was good all over the place, and um, he also never looked tired. He never gassed out. We haven't seen yeah. him go to a five-round fight, but when it came to those championship rounds, he looked more than ready. Yeah, I mean, we've barely seen him go three rounds because, you know, you you would think, a lot of people would think anyway that he's a one-trick pony. If he lands that, you know, that big right hand or, or that left hook that it's it's lights out and that's all he's got. But yeah, he definitely showcased so many skills. Um, he, he definitely gained so much credibility, I think, with fans, with the UFC, uh, I mean, here's a guy who had never really fought a top 10 opponent, and he went and completely dominated, uh, you know, one of the greatest fighters of all time, pound for pound, uh, and, and made it look easy almost. I, I think uh, I think Dominic Cruz maybe won that second round. Uh, it was close, but I, I gave it to him. I think he hit a takedown at the end of the round, too. Uh, but other than that, uh, what an amazing performance from Cody. And I like the fact that he, he went right away and called out TJ Dillashaw when the fight was over. He was like, <laughs> I forget the exact quote, but I think he said, TJ Dillashaw, if you want it, come try me, motherfucker. Yeah, I think that's what he said. And, dude, that's a money. That's a fight I'm going to pay money to see, dude. I would love to see these two guys both uh, coming out of Team Alpha Male. I'd love to see him go at it. Yeah. Especially with with all the drama with TJ Dillashaw leaving Team Alpha Male, uh, with uh, Dwayne Bag Bang Ludwig pulling him away from that camp. Uh, I'd love to see it, man. It would be such a good fight in in terms of media and selling the fight. It wouldn't be that hard. It, it's just it's got money written all over it. Oh, for sure. And uh, even Dillashaw said in, in the post-fight press conference that he was impressed with Cody and the, that Cody usually fights a lot more aggressive, even in the gym. So he was surprised with his composure. But let's move on to Dillashaw and his performance against John Lineker, which you know was pretty much flawless for three rounds. Uh, he didn't really let 
Lineker get his game plan off. He 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 threw him off. He had some beautifully timed takedowns. I mean, some some of the best timed uh, takedown transitions I've seen in a while. So really utilizes wrestling. Had a great game plan and threw some flashy moves in there too. And we went went for a rolling calf cutter uh, towards the end of the third round, and, and it looked like he had it locked in there. I think uh, Lineker's knee is going to be feeling pretty torn up this week but what do you think of Dillashaw's uh, performance there I agree with you it was flawless man he never let John Lineker get his offense going mm-hmm. he had him on his back I mean dude DJ Dillashaw I maybe it's hard to remember because of his loss to Dominic Cruz but DJ Dillashaw's for real man yeah which and, and that fight was super close I remember right after it had ended I had scored the fight for Dillashaw and then I had went back and watched it again, and I could see justifying uh, Cruz getting the decision. But that was a super close fight, which is why Dillashaw thought he deserved the title fight after his last win over Henan Burrell, which is uh, is is hard to... Wait, was it Henan Burrell that he just fought? Uh, I believe it was Rafael Asuncao. Rafael Asuncao, that's right. Henan Burrell is who he beat for the, for the title, but yeah. Uh, Rafael Asensio at UFC 200 but so after a razor close decision against the champion and then winning your next fight impressively uh, you would think that he would have been in line for that title shot but they give it to this kid who basically talked his way into a title shot and then it turns out that he he was deserving of it but uh, Cody actually backtracked and at the post fight press conference he said I know I called out TJ Dillashaw but Dominic Cruz is one of is the greatest champion of all time so if he wants an immediate rematch i can't deny him that so which fight would you rather see jeff would you rather see a rematch between cruz and garbrandt or would you rather see uh the contender dillashaw get the shot now the dominic cruz fan in me wants to see cruz get the rematch but the rest of me is saying shut up because (laughs) tj dillashaw versus cody garbrandt needs to happen this is such a big draw for me at least and you know with all the the history with team alpha male and dillashaw leaving you have the makings of money maker fight yeah and especially with uh the trash talk already starting on cody's end anyway because obviously they used to train together and cody says you know i already know who the better fighter is so that this fight doesn't even need to happen but (laughs) so he It'll definitely be interesting because, you know, they used to train together, but obviously Dillashaw is a different fighter uh, than he was when he was with Team Alpha Male. So uh, that's a huge fight. I mean, that could easily headline a pay-per-view at this point. I think you got two big enough stars to do that. And uh, it may be the first time for the men's bantamweight that uh, there's a headlining pay-per-view, right? I think maybe it's been a while. I may be making that up, uh, but uh, because even the last time Cruz fought Faber, that wasn't the that wasn't the headline. It was the co-main uh, uh, underneath uh, Rockhold and Bisping, I believe. Uh, in any case, uh, I want to get into some of the rest of this card. Don Young Kim uh, won a split decision over Tarek Safadine. How did you score that fight, Jeff? Did you give it to Kim, or did you think it was? Uh, it was a poor decision. I gave it to Kim. 
Okay. I really thought that Safadina only won the first round, but um, I, I was watching this fight uh, because to me it was a little bit boring. Yeah. Uh, I was expecting a more exciting fight out of these guys. I like watching both of these guys. So unfortunately, I felt like the fight didn't deliver. So I wasn't paying too close attention to it. But I thought Kim got the decision. I yeah. thought he deserved it. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I was ordering more pitchers of beer and, and kind of scanning Twitter during this fight. So I wasn't that into it either. And I was in you know a crowded bar and stuff. And there was people watching uh, college football, I think. There was some big college football game going on. Uh, and I, I think it was Florida State. And obviously, I was in Florida. I was in Daytona at the time. So I went across to the other coast. Uh, for a couple of days but uh yeah i didn't really pay much attention to that fight uh the the fight i was watching though was ray borg and, and louis smoka and uh ray borg is another guy I, I believe i told you jeff to keep an eye on and uh he had some impressive jujitsu both of these guys had impressive jujitsu this was a very technical fight and, and a tough fight and the second loss in a row for louis smoka uh, so i don't really know what you do there but ray borg looked pretty good what did you think about that yeah, I thought Ray Borg looked awesome, man. Uh, I, I thought this was one of the most exciting fights on the card. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't get any awards like Fight of the Night or anything. Yeah. But this was a really exciting fight. I enjoyed it. And I thought uh, Ray Borg, you know, I thought he was pretty dominant, especially on the ground. So yeah. it was really exciting to watch. Yeah, for sure. Very technical fight. Uh, I, I would be excited to watch either of these guys fight again. I think... Ray Borg takes a, a big leap forward, and I think Louis Smoka takes a big leap back, but these are both two young guys, so they definitely have bright futures in that flyweight division. And then another fight that I didn't really watch at all, and you had to kind of inform me what happened. I didn't really care to see this fight, which was Neil Magny versus Johnny Hendricks. And the reason I didn't care was because Johnny Hendricks missed weight again by about three and a half pounds, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, he um, he weighed in at 173.5. But, Bill, listen, I'm going to defend him this one time because it, it was closer than his usual eight pounds over. <laughs> Fair. Usually weighs, he usually weighs in at about 181. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, uh, going to the fight real quick. Johnny Hendricks won this fight. Uh -huh. um, Johnny Hendricks was dominant all three rounds. Neil Magny was pretty good off his back, but he spent most of the fight on his back. Uh, and Johnny Hendricks was able to get out of a few submissions, a few triangle uh, holds. He was able to get out of them. So um, I didn't think Neil Magny won this fight. I seriously think that the UFC was just uh, giving a giant middle finger to Johnny Hendricks for not making weight. Okay. Well, remember the UFC has no control over the judges. Um, so maybe the judges were, were giving the, the big fuck you to Johnny Hendricks. But... You know, to that, I kind of say uh, good. I mean, because Neil Magny basically fighting a middleweight in there. Johnny Hendricks should be fighting a middleweight. And the, the way I look at it is, like, if you miss weight one time because you were injured and you couldn't cut weight or, or you got sick or, or whatever the case and you're still fighting anyway, fine. But I believe this is the fifth time uh, Johnny Hendricks has, has not made weight. And you're talking about a guy who has fought for the title several times, has been the champion of the division, who, you know, was an all-American wrestler, I think. Uh, this guy should know about cutting weight, and he should be a lot smarter with his diet. And for those who don't know, when you miss weight for a fight, 
your opponent can refuse to fight you. So Magni accepted the fight, and Magni also gets 20% of Johnny Hendricks' fight purse. So the money that Johnny Hendricks was going to make to show up, Neil Magni gets 20% of that. Now, if you think about it this way, Johnny Hendricks misses weight five times. He has basically given up the equivalent of an entire fight check just for not making weight, which shows to me, you know, he doesn't care enough about the sport, about the fans, and about supporting his family because he basically fought an entire fight for free with the amount of money that he has given up just to come in a little heavy. And, you know, if he can't make the weight, he's got to change weight classes and, and fight bigger guys. Mm-hmm. But I I, um, I I really have no respect for guys who, who continuously miss weight. I think it's it's disrespectful on so many levels to, to the sport and to everything else. I mean, you're basically saying, you know, I can't, I can't beat guys my own size, so I have to cheat and come in heavy and fight smaller guys so for all of those reasons um you know i don't really care that that johnny Hendricks got screwed with a decision there um because yeah just because of all that i mean the whole the whole like missing out on an entire paycheck is kind of ridiculous if you think about it i don't know what are your thoughts jeff no, I agree with you 100%. And I hadn't even thought of it that way. When you add up, you know, all the times he's missed weight, that's a whole check. You know, that's crazy, yeah. dude. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give my check to anybody but me, Jeff the Animal Wilson. Right. Imagine, like, if you're a regular person, you're like, if you come into work late, they take away 20% of your paycheck. You know, you're going to, if that happened to you one, two, three, four times, eventually you're going to stop coming in late. <laughs> Because otherwise you're going to give give up a whole paycheck. (laughs) Yeah, dude. I would have come in late once if you're going to dock me 20% of my check. Screw that. Yeah. And you're you're talking about a lot of money. You're talking about thousands of dollars. Is it really worth like those cupcakes or that extra rack of ribs or whatever whatever it is he's he's eating? Like, you know, get your diet together. But, um, yeah, in any case, it's really sad to see a former champion um, like this and – it's sad that that I've lost so much respect for a guy who, you know, used to be the top of the division. I mean, pretty much put a beating on George St. Pierre, and and, and kind of got screwed with the decision there. I mean, and now that I think about it too, Hendricks has always been involved in controversial decisions. I mean, I thought when he won the title from Robbie Lawler, I thought he lost that fight, and then I thought when he won the title, no, when he wait when Robbie Lawler beat Hendricks, I thought Hendricks won. I think I just, uh, I think I just confused the issue. But in, in any case, um, a lot of controversial decisions that guy has been in. So instead of trying to clarify, I'll just move on. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. <laughs> won a decision over uh, Marvin Vittori, and uh, that was kind of a snoozer of a fight. Yeah, uh, Carlos Jr. has some of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu credentials in the sport. Uh, he fought at heavyweight on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil, and now he's a, a middleweight, and and he makes weight. So take notes, Johnny Hendricks. Here's a guy who fought at heavyweight, and he can make 185. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, Alex Garcia with one of the scariest knockouts of the year over Mike Pyle, who after seeing this fight, I really hope that Mike Pyle considers 
of retiring because it was just one of did you see this fight jeff this was real early on in the card oh yeah this knockout i was actually concerned yeah it was it was brutal one of the, i mean one of the scariest knockouts i've ever seen just be, the way his his head was turned to the left and his neck stiffened up before he hit the ground uh and then he smacked yeah. his head on the canvas as he went down um uh, alex garcia uh, one of uh, you know very hot and cold fighter but uh he was he looked uh, he looked good in this fight against mike pile pile wasn't wasn't doing terribly but uh you know kind of a case of a, a bullfighter and a bull here and uh the bull won so uh great performance for alex garcia i i kind of hope we see pile retire here at 41 years old what are your thoughts on that yeah i agree man that knockout was scary mm-hmm. um alex garcia has some mean power in his hands and like you said uh pile went down like a sack of potatoes man yep and then and then his neck just bounced off the the canvas i i seriously hope he gets checked out for a concussion that is concussion city man. oh i'm sure he has a concussion after that one that was devastating um so the the fight before that nico price uh made his ufc debut submitted brandon thatch with an arm triangle which seems to be his weakness because he's been finished with that a couple of times and um price looked pretty good uh, he had a little bit of difficulty with thatch on the feet but uh, once he got it to the ground it was it was uh all downhill for thatch from there i would imagine he gets cut after this fight and uh, nico price got his brown belt <laughs> after yep. the fight and uh somebody on twitter said uh, getting your brown belt for submitting Brandon Thatch with an arm triangle is ridiculous. I did it to my little brother earlier this afternoon, <laughs> and mm-hmm. for some reason that that tweet just made me just made me laugh um, because Thatch has been cut a couple of uh, caught a couple of times with that same choke, and uh, you know he's he's a great stand up fighter and he's a tough guy, but uh, you know the the jujitsu is just not on level with. Uh, with the type of competition in the UFC, but uh, Nico Price, very promising uh, prospect. And then uh, the first fight, which I was most excited to see, had kind of a weird ending. Did you catch uh, Alex Cowboy Oliveira against Tim Means? Uh, I didn't, but real quick, just to go back to the Nico Price fight, sure. um, I don't know if you were able to see it, but the the arm triangle that he got was like weird um, because he locked it up, but he locked it up with like a rear naked choke grip Mm-hmm. instead of the traditional hand-to-hand uh arm triangle yeah and he had his knee on thatch's belly to keep him from turning over i guess yeah but but it, it was the craziest thing i've ever seen i feel like he didn't get his brown belt for submitting thatch i feel like he got his brown mm. belt for basically inventing his own choke yeah i mean he's got he's got some long arms and, and he was able to utilize them so uh definitely i hadn't thought about it that way so yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he he's definitely a high level grappler. I, I'm not. I wouldn't debate uh, giving him the brown belt, but I just thought it was funny. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> submitting Brandon Thatch shouldn't get you a brown belt. But uh, in any case, Alex Oliveira and Tim Means. I was most excited for this fight. I, I had said that this was the sleeper fight of the entire card, uh, and I thought it was going to be a lot more competitive than than people thought. But Tim Means pretty much dominated. And uh, he was hurting. He was hurting Cowboy a lot. And then the way it ended was, Oliveira was up against the cage. 
He had one knee on the ground, and he was basically standing on his right foot, but his left knee was on the ground, and both of his hands were up, so he didn't have any hands on the ground. And Means threw two devastating knees to the face of Oliveira, and nobody had really seen this before. So the the referee, Dan Mergliata, stopped it, and um, and uh, Oliveira was done. He was out of it. He was he was spitting blood. He was dizzy. He couldn't stand up. He was he was knocked out. Uh, so it was ruled a no contest uh, due to a knee to the head of a grounded accidental knee to the head to a grounded fighter. And Rogan was confused. Uh, they brought Mark Ratner over, and he was confused because they all thought they were legal knees because there was only two points of contact on the floor. And even the second knee, Oliveira's right foot had come up off the mat. So it was just like a confusing situation. But basically, they re-explained the rules and said that if he has even one knee down, that's a grounded opponent. He can't be kneed in the face. But I had never really seen anything like this before. It's kind of hard to explain. You'd have to go back and watch the fight. But Tim Means was very upset. And uh, in his post-fight interview, he was just livid. And he said, I would rather get disqualified than have it be a no contest because they were not unintentional knees. They were intentional. And I believe they were legal. And this fight should be a knockout. Um, But after having the rules explained, it turns out that he was wrong and they were illegal knees and uh you know it was ruled a no contest it was it was very weird and then tim means basically said uh basically called out the mma media as well he's like all you people over here sitting with your laptops find out something new to say about me because i can wrestle and i have grappling too i'm not just a striker and he kind of stormed out of the cage so the whole fight and post fight was very strange it had very awkward ending but um uh, personally, I'd be excited to see either one of these guys fight again. Any thoughts on that, Jeff? Uh, yeah, both of these guys really exciting to watch. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I didn't get to see that fight. But um, I'm just reading here real quick. I looked up that um, the knee rule, and it says one knee down does equate to a downed opponent. Uh-huh. The one hand rule, which changes on January 1st, which it now will it has changed, it will change. Yeah, is related to two feet, not a knee. So, so the one hand rule, um, which is now two hands, you have to have both your hands and your feet to be considered down. Yeah. But that doesn't involve knees. So once you have one knee down, you're considered a downed opponent. So he missed it um, by two days. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's unfortunate because uh, it sounds like it was a really exciting fight, especially for Tim Means, uh, who I really enjoy watching. Yeah. Uh, I don't like when uh when the media bashes good fighters uh, yeah i do enjoy a good tim means fight i'm looking forward to his next one yeah and here's a guy who's had i think a rough time in his personal life and uh i guess uh definitely needed the money i think that's what what really set him off there um in any case a uh, great card overall a lot of a lot of big surprises there was a lot to talk about i mean it's not it's not very often that we we go through and break down every fight on the card and we you know we had something to say about about pretty much every fight on this whole thing so awesome event great way to cap off the year um 
And yeah, any, any thoughts on anybody who who you think should be fighter of the year or anything like that, or are you not really interested in in any kind of accolades like that? Yeah, it's it. I'm I don't like stuff like that, like knockout of the year, fighter of the year, just because it's so hard to pick, man. So many of these sure. guys have good years. For example, Dominic Cruz. I know he lost this fight, but this was his third fight this year. Yeah. Um, you know, considering that he went four or five years having fought just once, like for him, that that's a big thing. Um, you know, you could easily say Amanda Nunez fighter of the year um maybe even uh what's her name joanna and jacek mm-hmm. uh she's fought about three times this year she's won all of them sure so it's hard to pick but um yeah the only thing that i have i can say with any certainty is that cub swanson's last fight has to be fight of the year oh yeah with duho Choi, that fight was incredible incredible yeah. one of the best fights of all time the only thing I think that you could say was close to it this year was probably Connor versus Nate Diaz too. Um, and, and the only reason it would be comparable is because that was five rounds of insanity. But uh, I agree with you. Cub Swanson, Duho Choi was, was possibly fight of well, all time. Uh, I mean, that, that might be the top of my all time list. That, that fight was just completely insane and uh one other thing i want to touch about on about uh ufc 207 no send-off for mike goldberg in his last broadcast uh which was kind of strange uh, it was public knowledge that this would be his last time broadcasting for the ufc uh the guy's been working for the company for 20 years and there's no mention of it mention of it uh rogan didn't say anything about it goldberg didn't say anything about it uh, no tribute, um, no anything there. Just uh, very strange. And, and there's supposed to be a big announcement about who's going to be replacing him. But uh, what do you think about the UFC's decision to get rid of Goldberg and the fact that they didn't yeah, mention it on the broadcast at all? Uh, I think that's a little bit disrespectful to Mike Goldberg, man. Like you said, he has done so much for the sport Uh you know, yeah. it's just been from a different angle, you know. It's been from behind the camera instead of in front of the camera. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's been there since the early days of the UFC, you know. For Broadcasting sure. Broadcasting and, and giving us background knowledge. So to, to not – I feel like they should have brought him into the octagon and had a big thing for him. Yeah. Uh, giving him, like, a trophy or something. Because I feel like Mike Goldberg should be in the UFC's Hall of Fame for oh. everything he's done for the sport yeah definitely and he has a really hard job i think a lot of people don't realize you know he granted he's had some bonehead moments where he said some he said some dumb things like the the whole uh, early on in his career he, i think he said uh, a leg kick to the face or something like that he had called during a fight one time but i mean you you and i know just from doing this podcast you know talking you know, talking about fighting just over the phone or whatever, and, and you know, you can get into some stuttering moments, and you could you could say some some boneheaded things sometimes. We've both had those moments. So imagine when millions of people are watching. You've got 
you've got somebody in a truck watching video who's talking in your ear and telling you what to say and you got to work in advertisements and do all this stuff that's that's a hard fucking job and he came a long way from when he started to learn the sport and i think become one of the better broadcasters um in, in the sport uh, I think Rogan and Goldberg were an awesome team. I don't know what their relationship is like either because Rogan hasn't said anything about him leaving. But, um, yeah, it's fucked up that they didn't do anything. I mean, 20 years in any job is impressive. And the fact that, you know, this guy was, was able to turn it around and he had some personal problems and everything, went went to rehab for cocaine and, and things like that. But, you know overall i think did a great job in the last 20 years he's been a staple of of this sport i mean he's been the voice of the ufc in a lot of ways you know on on the tv shows that used to be on spike all the time i remember you know goldberg taught introducing the fights and everything and just you know the way he talks he just has that natural broadcaster voice that um you know it's a talent and i think it's an overrated and underrated talent so um that's sad to see uh, a couple other, a couple other fights that happened this weekend that I want to touch on briefly. Ryzen had kind of an unusual tournament. Were you aware of this, Jeff? I had heard something about Ryzen having some fights, but I'm not too familiar with uh, what actually went down. Yeah, so Ryzen did a weird kind of tournament where um, it it was a four man tournament. I, I believe it was heavyweight or open weight, something like that. And uh, basically, if you won your fight, you would fight the next night. So they couldn't do it all in one night, but you would fight the next night again. And uh, Mirko Krokop actually won the tournament at 42 years old and won impressively. Nice. His first opponent, he, he knocked him out uh, in uh, 49 seconds. This guy, Caldo Huvelson, uh, I don't really know who he is, but he's a big ass heavyweight and then uh amir alakabari was the the opponent in the second round and um and mirko knocked him out in about two minutes and this guy amir was supposed to be um you know he's supposed to be amazing he's like this high level uh wrestler from iran he was undefeated and uh he's like just a scary dude but uh krokop coming through with a big victory there. So kind of cool to see, uh, you know, Crow Cop still dominating the, the Japanese scene over there where uh, I, I don't believe they're too big on drug testing still. But, um, you know, some interesting fights on there. Crown Gracie submitted um, Tetsuya Kawajiri. That was kind of an interesting fight. Um, other than that, I, I would like to keep up with Ryzen a little bit more but it's just difficult to to watch because it's it's in japan so these these things are aired in the middle of the night over here so it's just uh you know a little, a little bit too much and then uh last night new year's eve world series of fighting uh your boy jake shields lost a unanimous decision to john fitch for uh the welterweight title there and then john fitch pretty much alluded to the fact that he's probably going to be retiring. He said, this will probably be the last time you see me fight. And uh, this was in New York City as well, Madison Square Garden. So 
Uh, any thoughts on that fight? From what I hear, it was not an exciting fight. I didn't see it. But any thoughts on uh, Fitch getting the victory over Shields and Fitch announcing his retirement? Uh, you know, John Fitch has never really been an exciting fighter for, to me, even when uh, I believe he fought George St. Pierre. Yeah. Uh, wasn't crazy about that fight. Uh, it's hard because I've been uh, I've had the chance to train with Jake Shields. He's a cool dude. So, you know, I feel for the guy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't really know how to feel about John Fitch retiring. I mean, uh, to tell the truth, I, I kind of forget that he was still fighting in the first place. Uh, I read about this. Uh, I, I forgot. I totally forgot about this card, too. So uh, I didn't catch it. Uh, the main event, Yushin Okami um, defeated Paul Bradley by split decision. So uh, looking up and down this card, there was there was nothing, nothing that really jumped out at me. Uh, Jared Rushold, who uh, was a former UFC heavyweight, got knocked out in a minute. Um, so I don't know, I don't know what kind of level of talent World Series of Fighting has, but um, it's just too much to keep track of at this point. You know, there's there there gets to be a point where there's just too much to watch. And um, anyway, while I was uh, while I was over in Daytona, I took a trip up to St. Augustine, where they have a distillery. So. I, of course, I had to check that out, and they have a tour you can do there. It's called St. Augustine Distillery. I skipped the tour because uh, I didn't really care to hear how they make the whiskey. I assume it's pretty much like anywhere else, and uh, went straight to the tasting room. And they do a bunch of things there. They do a vodka that uh, you know was not the smoothest vodka. They do a gin that I didn't try because I don't really drink gin. Uh, they do yeah, a gin never goes well. Yeah, I just I, I just don't get it. I've tried. I've had um I've talked about it I've talked about it on the show before. I had a, a gin that was made out of honey one time and and that actually was really tasty. It was a um distillery out of Vermont that does that and the the name of it is escaping me, but uh if you go back on my Instagram feed, uh you could definitely find it, uh find the name of it and I'll tweet it out later if anybody's interested. But um yeah, so they do the vodka, they do the gin, they do a rum that was, uh, you know, so-so, and um, they do a couple of different whiskeys. They do a double cask bourbon, which uh, I actually bought a bottle of, and um, I tweeted that out the other day. I was, I was drinking that uh, during the prelims of UFC 207, and uh, that that's really tasty. And then they do another bourbon that's uh, aged in port wine barrels. So port wine is a dessert wine. It's a little bit sweet. So they take the bourbon, and after they make the port wine, they uh, put the bourbon in the barrels and let it kind of sit there and soak up some of the flavors of the wood and some of the sweetness of the wine. And uh, it was—it sounded really interesting, um, but you know, it wasn't—it uh, wasn't you know anything out of this world. I mean, it was just kind of a little bit of a sweeter whiskey. But I did pick up uh, a bottle of the, the double cask bourbon, and they also sold uh, bitter milk, which I'm a big fan of. Um, so bitter milk is a, a company out of Charleston, South Carolina. I think it's like a mom and pop company. And it's uh, they make uh, old-fashioned mixers. So if you don't know what an old-fashioned is, an old-fashioned is basically uh, bourbon, and it's mixed with uh, usually sugar and bitters and some spices. So uh, bitter milk basically uh, makes a mixture. 
and it has everything. It's a little bottle of liquid. It has everything in it that you need to make an old fashioned at home. So all you do is um, make uh, to make the drink. It's just four parts uh, rye or bourbon whiskey and to uh, one part uh, bitter milk. So it's uh, it's it's good stuff. It's got uh, cane sugar, water, molasses, orange peel. And, and some spice in it and it's really tasty and it makes a really nice uh, old-fashioned so uh, the st. Augustine distillery a, a little bit commercial a little bit uh, tourist trappy um, but you know the the bourbon is solid uh, I definitely recommend it but um, the the biggest find for me was the uh, the bitter milk uh, mixture because I do like an old-fashioned every now and then and uh, I actually enjoy them with uh, some black cherries in them so if you want to make your own old-fashioned at home, I recommend get yourself some bitter milk and get yourself some black cherries. Um, and that was pretty much all I had. Um, oh, one other thing I heard, Jeff, is that uh, Gilbert Melendez announced that he wants to drop down to featherweight. Uh, any thoughts on that? Um, I don't really know what to think. I mean, he hasn't been too impressive at lightweight. Yeah, not not lately for sure. I mean, his last performance pretty much got dominated by Edson Barbosa. Uh, I know he used to fight at featherweight, and then because of some teammate conflicts, he had to move up, and uh, now he wants to go back. But, I mean, he's much older now. I feel like we're looking at an Anthony Pettis scenario here where he may not be able to, to make the weight at, at this age. But uh, I if he can and he can do it easily i mean he's he was never a huge lightweight yeah uh, so if he can make the weight easily and it's not an issue uh, i could see uh melendez being competitive in that division for sure but uh, if he can't and he moves down a weight class and he either can't make the weight or he's not competitive uh then i, I don't see him having a very long future in the ufc what do you think yeah, I agree. Um, I, I wouldn't count out Anthony Pettis just yet, though. I, I feel like he's still got a lot of fight left in him. Uh, but I agree. I don't know if, if going down a weight class is the best decision right now, now that uh, Melendez and even Pettis are a little bit older. Sure. Uh, because, you know, your body doesn't lose weight the same way when you're 25 and when you're 35. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a lot harder. So I don't know if uh, dropping a weight class is the best decision. But uh, Melendez is always fun to watch, so I'd like to see him get back in the octagon as soon as possible. Yeah, I agree. I think Pettis still has some fight left in him. Uh, the the only comparison there was that he's just not physically able to make the weight. So right. I, I thought that that might be the case with Gilbert. And um, yeah, so we did some fights. We talked some drinks. Um, sorry, we don't have better drink recommendations for you guys. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I did did have a good. Uh, drink mix for you and if you want a tequila that has a cool label and uh, we'll do the trick what was the name of that tequila again Jeff uh, I think it's Epsilon uh, I'd have to look it up on my phone yeah that's but, uh, right. the it the the label has a skeleton riding a chicken into battle I mean how cool is that you know you're gonna have a good time if you remember it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's why we got to take pictures and that's the way of a smartphone in any case, um, any other kind of uh, encompassing thoughts on 207 or Ryzen or World Series of Fighting or or alcohol or anything like that, Jeff? Um, 
I got nothing. All right, cool. Well, if you want to get in touch with Jeff, as always, at Animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. Uh, if you have anything you want to say to me, it's at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or you can go to MMAontherocks.com. Uh, you can find the show if you're listening anywhere else on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or uh, anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. And if you're digging the show, please uh, go on and leave a review and uh, let us know what you're thinking and drinking. All right, that's all we got. Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, carrying this show on to 2017. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>